A key reason we started this listening tour with our uh, help from our friends at AARP was to find out from the community how the lack of a budget at the time was impacting them, and really now how it's impacted Illinois' fiscal health and what that means for the future. Uh, we, we have a lot of pain that people have felt, and uh, hopefully we're recovering, but uh, in many cases we've heard that uh, money is slow to move, and, and there's still a lot more to go forward. So what we hope you'll do tonight is share with us uh, any way that this may have impacted you. Sean Crawford will be asking you to come up to Mike's at some point later uh, in, in the event, and you can share with us what you have going. Or if you need clarification, we have a wonderful panel of, of experts that you can talk with and, and try to get more context. So again, I want to thank you for coming tonight, and I'd like to introduce Bob Gallo from AARP Illinois, the Executive Director, uh, for a couple comments. Thanks. Thanks, Randy, and again, thanks to all of you for being here this evening. And ARP's role in this is we, uh, we agreed to sponsor with NPR Illinois 11 of these around the state. We have three more to do, but what we've heard in markets like Springfield and Champaign-Urbana um, and Chicago and others, and what we really wanted to do is, our, our goal was to do two things. We're an organization that, uh, that many of you probably know advocates for the concerns of adults age 50 plus and their families. Because people who are age 50 plus have children or grandchildren and are also concerned about their futures. But when we lobby down in Springfield, and for years a state that has not had a budget for two years, you know, one of the most basic things that any state assembly is supposed to do, or a governor, is to pass a budget. And for two years, Illinois, was the only state in the United States that couldn't do their basic job. And so we launched a campaign we called Enough is Enough. And so what we've done is we've gone out to our 1.7 million AARP members in Illinois. We have 38 million across the country. But in this particular concern, we wanted them to contact their elected official in their district and say, what are you going to do to fix this other than blaming somebody else? because we need you to take a leadership position for us and the future that we have here and that we hope our children and grandchildren have here too. And the good news is that a budget was passed and many state legislators stood up and said enough was enough and said we had to fix this and something has to be done. But there's a lot more to do. When you hear that there's $14 billion of unpaid bills, those are unpaid to people who have already in organizations, many, many, many of them, or most of them nonprofits, who have provided services to their constituents and their clients on behalf of the state. They had a contract with the state to do this, and they weren't paid. Many for over a year not being paid, and as a result, some have closed their doors, they've laid off staff. Um, we hear, um, you'll hear tonight maybe about students who are questioning whether or not they want to go to school in Illinois or whether or not they want to live here in the future. So part of us hearing your concerns here tonight is also our request is to talk to your elected officials and to say it's not over, what else needs to be done, particularly now that we're going into election season again and politics has devolved into nothing that resembles compromise but it's all about blame, and that gets us nowhere. So I'd like to turn it over to Sean Crawford, your, your moderator for this evening. Listen to these individuals and what they're experiencing, what they're hearing, and please share your views and your questions. But when you're here tonight, 
go tell your friends and neighbors about this too, because there are many individuals who don't think they're affected by this. And if they don't think they're affected by this now, they're going to be affected by it at some point. So thank you. Good evening. Thanks, Bob. And uh, I'm Sean Crawford, as mentioned. I'm the news director at NPR Illinois, which is a station in Springfield. And I've covered the state capitol meets for many years, since the mid-90s. And I've covered that for that period of time. And I've seen a lot of good, a lot of bad with state government. We'll talk some about that tonight. We do have a great panel here this evening. I'm going to introduce them first and have each of them talk about a little bit about the impact they're seeing from the state, not only the budget impasse, but just state government in general and its uh, questionable financial situation. Um, as was mentioned, we did start these events when there was a budget impasse, meaning no budget, two years had been approved. Now that one has been approved, there's still a lot of problems out there. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And we do want to hear from everyone who wants to speak. So if you do have a question or a comment, we'd like for you to just step up to the microphone. We'll call on you to, to uh, give that uh, a comment. And, uh, we're going to start with our panel. I'm going to start uh, with Kathy Wyman. She is the CEO of Alternatives, and that is for older adults. And it's focused on supporting older adults and adults with disabilities to maintain as much independence <coughs> as possible through a 16-county area in West Illinois. Kathy, uh, if you want to add anything to that, and also talk about some of the impact you're seeing. Sure. Um, thank you again. Thank you, WBIK. Thank you, AARP. Uh, and thank you, Jared and Amber, for putting all this together. They've done all the legwork on this. Um, I want to preface my comments with a little bit about, um, about human services in general. Um, we, we are living now in a very polarized state. We're living in a very polarized country. And... And, but one thing across all of that that we do know is that we are all supportive of a healthy and thriving community. And healthy and thriving, thriving communities support the well-being of every member of that community. Human services throughout Illinois, and I'm a proud uh, board member for Illinois Partners, which supports over 850 human service providers throughout Illinois. Human services is the foundation, the, the core of those healthy and thriving communities. Every human service agency has a part of the, the foundation and structure to help everyone thrive in each of our communities. And it affects every person. Human services affects you directly, every person in this room, or it affects someone you know, or it's about to affect you based on something that may happen. You may have a, a, the birth of a grandchild who has a developmental disability. You may have an older parent who's now starting to struggle to maintain independence in their home. Human services is the foundation to help you with some of those challenges that we all will encounter uh, someday. So what has that meant for us, for alternatives for the older adult for the past two to three years? We have been extremely stressed. Our foundation has been really constrained and we're starting to see cracks in that foundation. Um, we've had no funding, we've had intermittent funding, and we've had delayed funding. And all of those with no rhyme or reason sometimes, and we're trying to knit together solid, consistent, quality uh, supports for the individuals in our communities. So that's hard to do. That lack of stability has created increased turnover. Increased turnover of people who know the resources in their community and who have helped so many older adults. 
successfully live in their home. We have had to reduce. Um, recently, we just made the decision to severely cut our caregiver support program. Caregivers in Illinois provide a lot of support. Some of us are caregivers of an older parent, and we're doing that without pay. If we weren't there to do that, guess who would bear the burden of that care um, for that person? And we've had to reduce the support to these brave people who are working, caring for children, caring for parents, and trying to knit that together themselves. Um, so yes, the Illinois budget is tight. And the first response by most people is, Illinois needs to get its act together, so you need to cut things. You need to cut human services, because it costs money. And you people just cost us a lot of money. And if you cut those services, that'll help us get out of this hole. And then we can go back to supporting human services. And so I want to do a little math equation for you. Currently, Alternative serves 3,000 older adults to maintain independence in their home. And the average cost of that care is $470 a month. Remember that number. Okay? Every one of those 3,000 people is eligible for nursing home level of care. And they are staying safe and independent in their home. If that program, that support is cut, within six months, at least half, if not more, of those 3,000 individuals will be in a nursing home. The average monthly cost of care in a nursing home is $4,700. So $4,700 divided by $470 is, yes, you can cut that $470 now and save Illinois a buck, but it will cost you $10 if we let that happen. And so I, I, I want to put that context into place. It's kind of a misnomer that cuts help and in many human services, not just in my arena. That cut will actually cost the state of Illinois money. At the end of the day, we're all here for the same reason, to build up our communities. And that infrastructure, that foundation is critical uh, to making that happen. So thank you for letting me get passionate. Uh, moving on our panel, Dr. Betty Truitt is president of Blackhawk College. She spent over 25 years at the college, held numerous positions there. She was selected as the 16th president of the college back in January of 2015. Thank you very much. I didn't realize that Sweet 16 for me didn't really mean Sweet 16 because the last three years that we've seen at the college due to the state of Illinois budget situation have probably been some of the hardest years uh, for any educational institution in the state of Illinois. Uh, there are about 48 community colleges in the state of Illinois uh, serving thousands and thousands of students uh, for a very low cost, high quality education. And I echo what Kathy says so passionately. I feel as passionately about education as she does about services for um, adults and disabled folks. Um, when you hurt the educational system, you are hurting all of us. Um, the tuition rate right now at Blackhawk College is $149 a credit hour. Uh, those credits transfer to four-year institutions. Uh, those credits provide a very low cost, uh, again, high quality education for individuals to receive additional training. Uh, whether that's a six-week training program that leads to viable employment, whether it's a one-year nursing degree that leads to viable employment, whether it's a two-year associate's degree that leads to viable employment, it matters what we do in the educational system in the state of Illinois. 
If students have access to low-quality, high-cost education, that means that they can then transfer to four-year universities, whether those are public universities or the high-quality private universities that we have in the state of Illinois, that gives students good options. So I'd like to quote you a number that also starts with 10. Uh, a two-year education at Black Hawk College is less than $10,000. I said a two-year education at Black Hawk College is less than $10,000. So that means that the students that come to us aren't taking on huge debt. They are not burdening the financial system by taking on that debt, taking out a, a huge amount of student loans. Um, and frankly, without that burden, they are able to continue their education, thereby getting good viable employment or transferring to four-year schools and beyond. What's happened as a result of the budget crisis is we've seen a large exodus of students that are leaving the state of Illinois. Uh, they are not relying on the Illinois educational system anymore. Uh, they are going to border states. Uh, that is extremely unfortunate uh, because I believe the state of Illinois has one of the best, highest quality educational systems in the country. Uh, and I know that I speak for multiple educational institutions within the Quad Cities. It has hurt all of us, and most of all, it's hurt our students, and it's hurt our taxpayers. When you take a look at the best bang for the buck, a dollar from a taxpayer uh, taxes that comes into our institution, like Blackhawk College or any of the institutions, really is an investment in the future of our students. So what we have attempted to do at the college is not burden our students further, by uh, adding on additional costs to their tuition. If we had to cover the amount of money that the state of Illinois has not paid us, our tuition would get close to doubling, and we can't do that. So what we've had to do as a result, knowing that our focus is on our students, is we've had to make the responsible decisions to cut multiple full-time positions at the college. What that results now uh, for us, the result of that is that we are relying very, very heavily uh, on a part-time staff in many areas. So we're a little too lean in areas. But again, what our focus is, is to not change that high-quality experience for our students. Uh, so uh, we're very uh, happy to have a very dedicated staff. We're continuing to move forward. Some money from the state of Illinois is starting to trickle through for FY18. Uh, we're still owed several million dollars from this past year. Uh, but we're making it work, and again, my recommendation to the Board of Trustees is that we, again, do not burden our students by adding on uh, high-cost dollars onto their current hourly tuition rate, but again, uh, to take a look at continuing to offer that education at about $149 a credit hour and making things work within the institution, which sometimes means that we need to narrow our focus and then focus a little bit more on what we're very good at. So. It's a summary of education for Blackhawk College. Thank you. Thanks. Moving on, we have Mark Matthews. He's the executive director of the Child Abuse Council, and that was founded in 1977. It's a bi-state regional nonprofit agency with experience providing child abuse prevention as well as education and treatment programs. Mark. Well, thank you so much. That was wonderful. Can I pass? <laughs> I don't think I can uh, compete with that wonderful stuff. I. You know, I'm not very good at this, but I get the opportunity to talk at these type of events. And uh, one I was introduced as Mr. Child Abuse, which uh, <laughs> is not very flattering, as you can imagine. Um, but I'm going to kind of focus on that. I want you to have a little bit of uh, background on our agency, and then I'll go into you know what we've been experiencing a little bit. So we we, wrote, we focus on programs that really work with young families. Uh, we try to tackle that. <clears throat> excuse me with 
prevention, education, and treatment. Um, you know, there's a lot of victims uh, in our neighborhoods, even in you know neighborhoods like Bettendorf. Um, it crosses all social lines, all religions, all races, you name it. Uh, we work to make it a safe community for all. Um, not only is fighting child abuse, you know, good for kids, it's the right thing to do, but it also is great for business. That sounds a little callous, but kind of the investment speak that we've already been talking to. Um, child abuse victims are much more likely to uh, abuse drugs, uh, smoke, uh, become addicted to alcohol. Uh, they're much more likely to suffer from depression, uh, commit suicide. Uh, much more likely to be in domestic violence situations, both both as the abuser and the abused. Uh, a long-term study by the Department of Justice shows that child abuse victims are nine times more likely uh, to become involved in criminal activity and go to jail. So if we look at the long-term problem after child abuse, uh, it makes sense to invest in prevention now. And here's the great news. The great news is about child abuse is it's 100% preventable, 100%. Um, so I'll do another math problem because we like math. <laughs> Research shows that for every $1 you spend on prevention, you save $50 down the line. And that's in uh, the criminal justice system, that's in counseling, that's in different services that help support these children as they grow up and try to struggle and deal with what they've been through. So, incredibly important work. Uh, we've got a wonderful staff, uh, 22 employees. Um, we've got a location here in uh, Moline. And we have 10 different programs, again, focused on prevention of child abuse. Our mission is to eliminate it. And that's a tall order, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it because, again, it is 100% preventable. Our budget is $1.5 million not nearly as big as some other agencies that are in this room. Um, Ten years ago, 90% of our budget was from the state of Illinois, funded from the state of Illinois. We knew that was a bad path at that point and worked hard to diversify our funding, and now that's down to about 40%. Still a significant portion, but much less risk. So even with that um, uh, limited and the risk, you know, we're still suffering. Um, the past two years, we've had to live on faith. We've had um, signed contracts with the state, but in those uh, contracts, there's a provision saying, well, you know, if we don't allocate the money in the budget, you know, all this is null and void. But you as the agency have to live to that contract. You have to deliver those services, again, hoping that the budget will be passed and the money will be allocated. That's bad business. That's, that's the state of Illinois being a bad partner the past two years. So what have we had to do? You know, we've suffered. Our planning has suffered. If you're an agency that is just trying to survive, not sure when you're going to get paid, you're not working on the big pictures. You're not looking to solve big problems or grow your agency to serve more people. We have waiting lists. Uh, let me put, put that in perspective. We have children that have been abused that need therapy and help that are waiting. We have families that have identified themselves as needing support, as needing our services, and we're telling them you have to wait. That's unacceptable, unacceptable. Our staff culture has suffered dramatically. Uh, anyone in business knows that engagement, um, your staff culture means so much to how successful your business is. 
So imagine having jobs where your job every day is very difficult. You're put in these horrible situations working with children and families in crisis. And at the end of the day, you have to worry about, is my job safe? Is my agency going under? Um, just you know, incredible that I have to deal with that as well. And of course, cash flow and our line of credit. Managing that is just a challenge. One, because you don't know when the payments are going to come. Uh, if one thing we can get the state of Illinois to do better, it's to communicate. Now that we have a, a signed budget, that's wonderful, but the same problems exist. We're still having to deal with planning issues, We're still dealing with staff culture, because we don't know when the money's going to come. I'm glad to hear some of the money's flowing. Our money is not. Currently, the state owes us $152,000, some of those from expenses we uh, incurred back in January, and we can't get a straight answer on when those might be paid. We understand there's a long line. We understand there's a long list of bills that need to be paid. But if you can tell us, we're a business. We might be a not-for-profit business, but if you allow us the information, we can make business decisions and plan for that. It's impossible when you have no idea when these payments are going to come to try to manage this. So you're dipping into cash flow. You're, again, you're not, you're not giving raises to employees. You're not taking the investments you need to make in your business to make it better and stronger. You're surviving. So uh, I often turn into the red-faced angry man uh, in these type of talks. So I'm going to try to uh, be rational and uh, no, no swearing, no swearing, no swearing. Um, <laughs> and kind of finish with that, that if one thing we could have different from the state of Illinois is treat us like a partner, treat us like a business. Um, we're good for business, we're good for the community, both now and in the future. Thanks, Mark, and uh, thanks for keeping it clean. <laughs> um, I just want to touch on before we move on that you, you touched on the fact of the, the long line of bills, which we've seen numbers that go above $15 billion backlog of bills. That number may even be much higher. There's some stories coming out now about bills that have not been sent to the comptroller who writes the checks for the state. You know, to put that into some perspective, a general revenue fund, the main spending account of the state, is only in the $30 million range. We're talking about half of what the state spends in general revenue being a backlog. That's how bad things are for the state of Illinois. And again, I do want to remind you, if you have a question or a comment, to just step on up to the mic. We'd like to hear from you and uh, a lot of different things to talk about tonight. You can talk to our panel. We'll try to answer questions for you as well. We move on to Natalie Linville Mass. She's at the far end of the table. She's the president of Media Link Incorporated. She's been in the media field for more than 25 years. She's heavily involved in community development and advertising, PR, and entrepreneurial support organizations. Natalie, thanks. Thank you, and thank you for um, letting me be here. Um, to give you a little bit of an idea about what our firm does, we're a full-service advertising firm. We also developed our own media buying software, and we um, developed this around 2011, and we sell this to other advertising agencies throughout the country. Um, so I've been asked to talk on behalf of small business in this area. Um, so to put this in perspective, 85% um, of the businesses that belong to the Quad City Chamber of Commerce are small businesses. So um, I'm kind of holding up that part of it for them, but that employs a large workforce. Um, I've got 11 employees that work for me at my agency. And so, and we've been doing this for well over 16 years. Um, the lack of having an Illinois budget has 
affected me in a number of different areas. Um, it, it's affected our ability to get help. Uh, we lost the SBDC and we lost the PTAC offices on the Illinois side. Well, and most people are like, well, you can go over to the Iowa side. Not necessarily. Um, you have to have the initiative to go over there and they will help you with questions, but they can only go so far. So my closest PTAC office is now in Chicago. Um, the SBDC, I am told we can now work together, but again, it's limited. So there's, there's a huge loss and that affects every small business and large business that's in this area. Um, it's affected our ability to grow. I mean, with the lack of certainty in our area, more and more businesses took a much more conservative approach to their advertising. Some stopped their advertising altogether, which is never something I recommend. Um, but um, it's, it's affected everybody. They're, they're not really sure what the next year is going to bring. And until there's more stability, um, they're not going to look further than a year to two years out. Um, it's affected our contracting abilities. We have a number of certifications that allow us to bid for state and federal contracts. And um, right now, I'm no different than anybody else at this table. I'm waiting for a payment as well. I've been waiting a year and a half on a payment for a state contract. Um, I needed to, I, I need to note that the office that we worked with and the contracting officer have been a huge help. That, they even wrote letters to the court of claims to, you know, really say, you need to pay these people. You know, they did everything, they followed the rules, but um, we're still caught and we're still waiting. So this is still unresolved a year and a half later. Um, it's affected our ability to hire talent. Um, combined with the drastic changes in the field of media, and the uncertainty in the state, the pool of qualified candidates in my field um, for the positions that we need have, have fallen drastically. Um, it's affected our neighborhoods and our morale. Um, so many businesses have left the Illinois side of the river. I, when you drive down 7th Street in Rock Island or you drive um, across 16th Street, um, again in Rock Island, I can see a for sale sign at every single block. It's, it's hard to absorb. Black Hawk Road is the same way in Moline. Uh, there's a lot of businesses for sale. Um, that visual makes it feel lonely. It makes it feel like um, that we're all even fighting even harder in this uphill battle. Um, last, this affects our future. Um, in order for us to retain the talent we're bringing to the area from our universities, we need to take note about what makes us different and what makes us shine as a community. I feel our differences are vibrant and crazy history as a riverfront community. Uh, we need to share it, cherish. Um, and preserve the older buildings that we still have among us. Our community has a long history of entrepreneurs. That's how this area was formed. And as an entrepreneur and a proud resident of this area, I, I take some inspiration um, from those folks that came before us. Um, in other words, the state impasse didn't just affect um, an area of my business. It affected so many facets of my business and the businesses around us um, and the businesses in our area. Thank you. Natalie, and she brought up a good point uh, as we sit here so close to Iowa. Uh, if you know somebody or some businesses possibly that have moved to Iowa, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. Or have you considered moving? Maybe you have moved. Um, you know, is it that bad that you want to leave the state of Illinois? I'd like to hear what somebody has to say about that. Um, while we wait for that, though, I, I think that one of the trends I was hearing in the panel discussion was really, again, about you can spend now or you can spend a lot more later. I know, uh, Kathy, that's one of the things you, you touched on there. It's really about investment. And you can be a fiscal conservative, but you can be a fiscal conservative and be smart about how you're spending your money. And this is a good example of, of ways to do that. 
so um, I use the foundation metaphor, if you will, but if, if you don't fix the foundation on your house, what happens to your house? Eventually, you're either going to have to spend a lot of money, <laughs> or you can fix the foundation and preserve the house. And that's where Illinois is at, and they have to make some decisions whether they want to shore up um, these foundational, uh, common sense, somewhat conservative ideas, which is invest in things that work, and it saves you money, and it, and it grows the community, and it strengthens the state. And I think that's what we all want, but, but, it's, but it is a never-ending and ongoing challenge. The, the state owes us right now three quarters of a million from last year. And they passed a budget, so all was going to be right. And we have received, I think I got $170 last week uh, that we received in billing. These are, as Mark mentioned, these are contracts. We've, we've signed a contract that we will provide this service. And the state is not paying for their end of that bargain, and that's the frustration. I know there were bonds that were sold, um, and so we were hoping that that would release some funds to all of us. Um, but yet, we have not seen that. I don't know how that's, if that's what you're maybe starting to see in your FY18. We're seeing some of that FY18 monies come through. Our annual budget is about $34 million at the college, and I think we're owed a little bit over $4 million still from last year. Um, the thing that we had to do, and we did it in a phased way, was we recognized that at some point uh, we would run out of money. Uh, so uh, we did, like I said, we did the responsible thing. Uh, that unfortunately the politicians in Illinois chose not to do. They did not do the responsible thing by not passing a budget for over two years. Uh, we are forced to do the responsible thing. Uh, I'm proud of that, um, but we also are dealing with a situation that will take years to recover from, and that is students that are leaving, uh, the lack of uh, opportunities that those students no longer see in the state of Illinois, and like we've talked um, very well on, I, I like the breadth of our discussion. Uh, it's touched on a lot of areas in the state of Illinois. College, you deal with property tax issues. Of course, there's been discussion of property taxes are too high in the state of Illinois. Right. You need a property tax freeze. So, how has that impacted your budget and just the discussion of that? Well, I'd like to say something positive. I did live in uh, Iowa for a long time and I moved in to Illinois three years ago. So, uh, that's a good thing. I do pay my taxes. Uh, I like living in Illinois. I grew up in Illinois. Uh, and I think what we're looking at from the property taxes that is supported for the college uh, in a very good way. Um, but again, what we're trying to balance is a 21% funding level from the state of Illinois that because we did those responsible things, we are actually down to less than half of that three years later, a very short three years later. And that has not been without the pain. Uh, close to 70 to 80% of our budget is personnel. I mean, when you're looking at running a college as large as Blackhawk College with multiple locations, uh, we have facilities at our outreach center in East Moline. We have facilities out at the Adult Education Center in Rock Island. Uh, we have a campus in Galva Kiwani area. Uh, we, of course, have the Moline campus uh, and multiple locations where we offer that coursework. Uh, and it's important coursework. Uh, it's not just transfer education, it's training for adults, it's GED classes, it's everything that makes our communities better. Uh, and so when we're looking at having to cut uh, the amount of expenses at the college, uh, and with the personnel being that high, 70 to 80% of that budget, uh, again, uh, we were looking at people. And they're not just people, and they're not, or they're not just positions to us, they are people. Uh, and it was difficult. Uh, we were able to do that in a way that we felt, again, uh, didn't impact uh, the students' opportunities because that is our focus. 
Uh, fortunately, with the money that is starting to come through for FY18, we are looking at filling some of the gaps uh, so that we're not uh, dealing with such a lean, um, lean situation anymore. I like uh, what Mark was saying. Um, you also want to make sure that uh, there's some happiness on the face of the employees as they come in every day. And employee morale is very important to me. Uh, and it does get to be disheartening, especially when you've been with an institution as long as some of us have been. Uh, we say 25 years, I'm, I'm starting my 30th year at the college. Uh, and it's hard because these aren't just people that work, that you work with, these are your friends. Uh, this is, you've spent more time with these people uh, every day for so many years, it's difficult to make some of those decisions. So I'm hoping that uh, that starts to turn around uh, with some of the money's coming through. Uh, and I hope, again, that some of these other organizations that you're also seeing some cash, hopefully in the near future, uh, that will start to turn this around. And Mark, you had touched on that earlier as well. You want to elaborate again about just what it's meant for, you know, internally for your organization to not be able to receive this money on time? Yeah, it's extremely difficult. Um, you know, our staff reads the papers. They watch the news. They, they know that this budget crisis is happening. So. Um, they were always asking, are we going to lose our jobs? Are we closing? They see other agencies closing down. Now, again, we were very proactive. We were smart. We saw this coming. We made a lot of different changes to our organization, but that doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily seen by the staff. So in the last two years, uh, I focused on transparency. I mean, as a not-for-profit, you're very transparent anyways, but every quarter, uh, quarterly staff meeting that we have, I do a, um, a state of the business. Um, here's where we're at. Here's the money in the bank. Uh, we're not in the reliant credit, or we are. Um, here's some of the good things. Here's what's going on on our balance sheet. Really educating the staff on, hey, we're okay. You know, um, now nine, you know, months down the road, if this keeps happening, we're going to be in trouble. But for now, just worry about your job. And that, that transparency has helped a lot. That's something I'd also recommend to organizations that are experiencing some trouble. If you're transparent with your staff, um, they're grown-ups. They can live with it, and they appreciate that transparency. Um, but it's tough when you have those tough days and um, you just get bad news. You know, that's, uh, that doesn't help at all. I, I will say, the community here is wonderful. The Quad Cities has stepped up so much for, for us as an agency. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, foundations, um, individual families and donors who have stepped up and really supported our agency, and, and we couldn't do that without, without them. Uh, couldn't have lived through this last couple years without them. So I do want to thank the community for their support and their generosity. But. The bad news is uh, we sense there's some donor fatigue out there. I'm sure if I asked people to raise their hands, they'd say, you know, I'm getting all these letters, I'm getting all these requests. They're great agencies, but there's so much help that's needed. Uh, I'm concerned that, that that fatigue will come in and there won't be that help. We might have a lot more closings, so that would be tragic for the, for the community. Got a question? Uh, my name is Kai Swanson, and I'm here in a couple of capacities, but as a uh, special assistant to the president of Augustana College, I was going to start by saying, have you ever heard anything good follow the opening, Illinois is second only to New Jersey in? Uh, well, there's a new one. As of last week, you probably know from the State Journal Register story, we're second only to New Jersey in exporting college students. 
Uh, and I have friends who work in higher ed in New Jersey, at the College of New Jersey and William Patterson, and there's a reason. They don't have the capacity we do. We have an outstanding higher education system through community colleges, through four-year privates, publics, and, and graduate programs, so there's no reason we should be exporting any students. And now we're second in the nation. And the problem with that is, uh, if you go to another state for your higher education, the odds are vastly increased that you won't come back. And we need college-educated persons because simply just demographically and mathematically, they earn more. And if they earn more, they pay more in taxes, and that's what builds states. But in fact, I actually decided to rise as a secretary of the board of the Doris and Victor Day Foundation, which is a local foundation that funds three of the four people who are up here. And we're very proud to do that. Uh, and it's not so much donor fatigue, it's that uh, these, these local foundations were established to uh, create growth, energy, and dynamism. And anymore, all we do is we pick up slack that was once taken up by the state of Illinois, whether it's helping public school districts who aren't getting enough, even though their property taxes are exorbitantly high, uh, helping them do their basic functioning. Um, and I'm, I'm going to actually, Sean, turn this around and turn it into a question uh, for you. I think it was, the, the nail was hit on the head. I mean, property taxes are are too high because state government abdicated. And when the federal government said, for instance, we're not going to take care of people with mental illness, states tried to and they couldn't. And so they gave it to localities. And localities have no mechanism in Illinois for raising revenues other than property taxes. We, we simply don't. There are a couple of things that you can try, but they don't, they don't do that much. For those of us here in northwestern Illinois, from your perspective, what could we do to help advocate for the kind of change, and I think by this we mean a constitutional convention, that would completely rework the revenue stream? Because as long as we're under this, this Reagan-era conceit, the government plays no positive role. Every government pushes downhill, downhill, downhill to the local school district, community college district, area agency on aging, and so on and so forth, and there's just nothing there but property taxes, and that's what forces the excess, and the cycle goes and goes and goes. Do you have any advice for us as engaged citizens of Northwestern Illinois? And thank you all very much for being here. Thank you. Um, I don't know if I have the answer or not. I would say uh, the Constitutional Convention idea has been brought up again most recently by actually a local representative out of the Springfield area, Representative Tim Butler, a Republican. It's been met pretty much with a thud. That's not, you know, most likely not going to happen uh, at this point at least. There are a lot of people in the legislature who want to see things done differently, but the legislature's changed a lot um, in the last 30 plus years or so. It's very dominated by leadership. Uh, there was a time that the average uh, lawmaker could go to Springfield and get something done, and it's very hard for them to do that. And I still would say the one thing people mistake, uh, make a mistake too often is that they feel as though their voice doesn't matter. They feel as though nobody listens to them, why bother contacting my local representative? They will listen to you. I don't care if it's the Speaker of the House. I don't care if it's the Governor. They do pay attention to people contacting them. Now, they may not act the way you want them to, um, but, uh, but they will listen to you. In fact, that probably is the biggest impact you can make is to reach out to your elected representative because they, or senator, they want to know what is, you know, what's on your mind. They want to be reelected, most of them. So they want to know that they're doing what the public wants done. Um, the problem is the public's not organized enough, usually. And I think that's a big problem with it. And uh, I would suggest, you know, that might be something to do is to try to get more organized, try to reach out, go to events where uh, the local representatives will be, raise these issues. And if it's something you feel very you know, strongly about, 
you're, you got to realize there's always going to be somebody on the other side of the issue, but you just have to keep beating that drum. But uh, I'll, I'll throw it to our panel, see if they've got any other I ideas on that. I was just going to add one comment. I, I watched an interesting interview by two outgoing legislators last year, <laughs> one Republican, one Democrat, and they're sitting at the coffee table and they're talking about all of this. And very easily, both of them agreed. They could walk down the street, sit at the coffee shop, and probably solve a lot of this mess. But they're not allowed to do that because we have to polarize this um, thing. But those two legislators were leaving because they used to be able to do that. And, and that's my greater concern is how do you even have a conversation when you have to be put in one box or the other with the conversation? And there, it's not either or, it's both and. That, that these are solvable things. Illinois is a huge and great state. We can solve a lot of this if people could sit down and talk to each other. And it's amazing to me that that has has pushed people apart. Have uh, any of you on the panel, I'm sure you talk to local representatives all the time, what kind of responses do you usually get? I, I'd echo what, what Kathy's saying. I think the, they continue to talk about both sides of the aisle. Uh, I'd appreciate it if somebody would cross the aisle and have that cup of coffee. As a matter of fact, I'll buy uh, and maybe, something, <laughs> maybe something stronger than coffee would be helpful. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I, 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 I can help that too. But uh, uh, essentially, this uh, divisive way of communication, uh, getting a good group of people together to solve the problem, but again, I don't think they are being allowed to do so. I think there are stronger forces at work, uh, political forces that are not doing this. Well, I'm involved in the um, I, I'm involved in the Quad City Chamber Business Advocacy Council, and I've been involved with it for over the last ten, um, ten years. Um, so I make regular trips over to Springfield and to um, Spring, um, Springfield and to Des Moines. And what I have found is that when the coalition of the chamber goes to these events, I'm usually one of the only business owners there, um, which is really unfortunate. So I'm speaking pretty much on everybody else's behalf. There's a lot of folks that are there from the cities. There's a lot of folks that are there from the nonprofits and from the public institutions. But very few business owners take the time to do what I'm doing. But I, I feel it's important. I mean, they do have to hear where we're coming from and, and what's going on in order for us to be able to affect change. And um, so the more um, the more people talk and the more that you know they're willing to say where they're coming from and you know get over that fear, uh, the better off we're going to be. Natalie, you are a, a business person, and one of the things we've noticed, especially in the Springfield area, where maybe more businesses uh, do interact with the state. A lot of them now are just avoiding that. They don't even want to be bothered with it because they know it's going to take a long time to get paid if they ever get paid, and they just don't want to deal with it. Are you hearing some of that too, that they're just foregoing trying to work with the state? Yes, um, but at the same time, I mean, there's you have to make sure that your, your P's are crossed and your I's are dotted. I, I mean, it's, it's important to be able to follow those rules and get a sense out of the, um, out of the office that you're trying to work with. I mean, some are better at paying their bills than others, and it just depends upon um, what contract that you're trying to go after. But, um, but still, it's a contract. I mean, like I said, that one state agency that we had a fantastic relationship with, still do, they've decided not to put out any other contracts because they don't want another company to go through what we're going through. They feel awful. Um, they, they feel helpless as well. This is completely out of their control. Um, so I, I think, you know, among the state workers, among the contracting officers, among um, the people that are putting together the RFPs, they just, they feel helpless too. And, and 
And they, they have a backlog of work if these contracts aren't able to be fulfilled either. And we've talked a lot about spending money at the state level. I'd like to know if there's anybody here who feels they're already taxed too much in the state. Do they feel as though they don't want to pay more in taxes? You know, even though maybe more money would help, they didn't want to see their income taxes go up. If anybody wants to come up and you know give their thoughts on that, I'd like to hear what you had to say with it. Um, because I think there's that's a feeling out there as well. They want to see a lot of these types of services offered. They feel the state can do that with the existing revenue. They don't want to see taxes raised just to pay off these bills and do the types of things we we're discussing here. So yeah, we'd like to hear from you on that as well. And that, that's really a battle that you, you guys face on a, on a regular basis is, you know, everybody's, nobody wants to see uh, child abuse services cut, for example, but, you know, I, I pay enough in Texas. Can they do that with what I already pay? Any, any thoughts on that? Just what you hear from people regarding that? Yeah, I, uh, you know, met a lot of the representatives and, um, they all kind of pat you on the head and say, gosh, you do great work. I couldn't do the work that you do. Uh, we definitely want to fund you. But, you know, they can't pay for it. Or they're struggling with how to pay for it. Um, all great people, you know, great representatives want to do the right thing, but they're facing these roadblocks. But, yes, everyone wants to. I say everyone, I hope everyone, uh, wants to fund services. They want to help people. They want to do the right thing. But where are those other cuts going to come. Uh, and what I've been probably the most frustrated with is it doesn't seem that anyone is thinking outside the box. You know, we have to think outside the box to make ends meet. Uh, what are they doing? You alluded to the hard choices that we've been making. Um, you know, what are they doing differently? That's what I would challenge them is uh, uh, do something different. <laughs> so easier said than done. I know. Yes, sir. I'm Bruce Peterson and citizen of Rock Island. Um, I probably get the easy answer. I'd be going to pay more taxes if it improves the community. But you have to make that link that says you spend more, that's going to come back into the community and provide the services that uh, we need. Listen to some of your concerns and trying to figure out where does it play out uh, when you see it because it doesn't come the next day when you get your budget cut it comes over a period of time uh, I'm thinking in terms of employers they don't see that workforce drop off because they don't have the training the next month it's over a period of time that uh, employment gets tighter and it's harder to find people in the community that bring those skills into the workforce uh, and then we also see employees that become social service providers and so they're struggling at work because they've got the demands at home of providing services that they can't get that you used to provide for them uh, in terms of uh, what happens with some of that cost you're <clears throat> 47 470 going up to 4700 sounds great in terms of you know what the impact is but if you talk to the other social service provider that provides that $4,700 of service they're only going to get 2300 if they get that so it isn't quite that <clears throat> and so what happens is that we have a cost shift that agency that used to get $4,700 
for providing skilled care and is now getting 2300 has to make it up with other people. So we indirectly tax those residents at that nursing home a higher fee to make up for the lower one. And so you tax the sick to pay for the sick. And in terms of child abuse, uh, it becomes shifted from a state responsibility to a local one because who has to take care of the abuser? goes back to the law enforcement. And you don't see that handled on the state basis. You're going to see the police departments and the sheriffs with that burden. So we have a, a real interesting cost shift that occurs when we take and stop state spending. And I think we need to identify where does that cost shift go and what happens within our community? Uh, because it certainly has taken it downhill. <clears throat> and in terms of uh, looking at what happens in Springfield, I think we've neutered our legislative positions in Springfield by concentrating the power. So if you're a regular legislator, you're just a token because you've got, I don't know if it's four or six, that are going to control what happens within the state. Mm -hmm. And we've already shown it doesn't work. And I think that's the starting point, is we need to change so that we have legislators doing legislative functions. And if we can get that, I think we'll see improvement in Illinois. Thank you. Thank you. Can, I was just going to comment on that. Ooh, maybe not. <laughs> You're right, 2300 is the Medicaid rate, so that $470 person going in at the state dime is six times um, the rate of that monthly cost of care. I also want to add another component to that in that for alternatives, um, we have 80 staff and we're working in 16 counties. And they're, help, they're doing these assessments. They're also doing adult protective services, so they're investigating abuse, neglect, and exploitation and they're the ombudsman, so they're the listening ear for residents of nursing homes. So in those three capacities, we are asked by the state to be the advocate for older adults in those 16 counties. We went to the state early on in the budget impasse and said, you know, you're not giving us any money, we're getting a little stretched, can we filter and just serve the higher risk right now because we're really struggling? No, you are a mandated service. And because we're mandated, we have to answer every single phone call and see every person that will call us. And so we're kind of double constrained then. So we have to see everyone and, oh, and we're not going to fund you in the process until we get this worked out at the state level. So you are spot on, though, with cost shifting. Um, that's kind of my, as I'm growing up, my take on taxes is, well, we could reduce property taxes that's going to show up somewhere else. I mean, these are things we have to take care of in our communities, whether we do it through property taxes, income taxes, sales taxes, however we do it. And I think Mark's spot on, too. We need to think differently because Illinois has got to find a better solution. I would say, too, I've been covering government long enough that I've unfortunately uh, seen many times where we've said, it can't get worse than this. Well, it always seems to get worse than this. <laughs> And I would say just on the standpoint of the, of the individual lawmakers, I do think most of them go to Springfield to get something done. That's their idea. And I think they're usually doers. They're people who have been successful, maybe in local business or some other capacity, and they think they're going to go there and they're going to get something done. I think that's why you're seeing such an exodus right now of some of these people from, from state government because they get in there and maybe as bad as I've ever seen it, uh, the toxicity 
in, in the capital. There's no compromise. It's very hard to find that even people do make compromise. They're you know blasted on either side, and I think that that's that's made it very difficult. So I think a lot of good people are leaving government, and that's not a good thing. But I think we have somebody else ready to make a comment. Just a couple comments, I think, and questions too. I personally, I mean, by many accounts in Illinois, it's not a revenue problem that we have. It's an allocation problem, and. As you look around at some of the exorbitant pensions that are paid, you know, that never seems to change. You know, they're the only, you know, the state of Illinois is one of the only places I've ever heard of that every year these guys get 3% cost living adjustments. Everybody would love to have that happen, but that doesn't happen in the real world. And that's a big problem in Illinois. There's just zero common sense in the legislature right now. And we have to be responsible to, to, to be more vocal about that. Uh, you know, 40% of pensioners in Illinois are making more in retirement than they made when they were working. That, that, that can't, you cannot possibly sustain that. It is, the math does not add up. So, and, and I'm going to, I'm not going to promise to keep it clean. I've lived in Illinois my whole life. It makes zero sense to me whatsoever what's happening. Question though, um, what is the, this twofold I guess, what's the likelihood that you will ever see the money that you are owed for the services that you've already provided? If, if any of us were in private industry and handled our finances the way the state of Illinois is, we'd either be in prison, okay, you, you can't touch a, a, you know, a, a protected fund like we've done in Illinois for years. It's criminal and it should be criminal for the legislature. And so what's the likelihood that you'll ever get that money back? Secondly, this is a long question, I apologize, but there is no, I had to take notes because I want to make sure I get to the point. There's no awareness or recognition on the part of any politician that I've ever heard in Illinois that the services that you all provide, uh, specifically in areas of prevention, and preemptive treatment and assistance at a very, very economical rate uh, to some of the most disenfranchised and politically unconnected people in the state. And I think that's something that's ignored too. These people have no political voice. And so it's really easy to sweep them under the rug and take funding away from them. The most desperate people in our community. It's really sad that not just the state, but the country is, is going that direction. It, it really makes me mad. So at what point do we, um, do we create some kind of coalition, and I'm talking about your organizations, the ones that need the money? Do we invest in more politically connected people, more skillful lobbyists? Uh, how do we mobilize to say, we're going to take government back in Illinois we haven't had control of it for over 30 years. So, uh, it, it, no common sense is going to come out of Springfield. Just not going to happen. So, what can we do collectively, you people specifically, I think, because you do have some connections in Springfield. And uh, I guess that's the question is, is what can we do to collectively put our voices together? Yeah. Thank you. I'll try. I'll try. By the way, I appreciate sure. everything you do for us. Thank you. Thank you. 
Well, the likelihood of getting the money, um, one of the great things about this signed budget is that we should get the money, at least I'll talk about my agency first. Before, in the last two years when there wasn't a signed budget, uh, we were blown in the wind. We didn't know if we would ever get that money. It was contingent on a, a past budget with that uh, money allocated. But now that we have a, a past budget and our contracts are in that budget, the money is allocated. If they don't pay us, we can take them to court. Uh, court of claims is what it's called in Illinois, and court of claims will process it, and they'll pay you if you have a signed contract and allocation. So that's the great news about this signed budget. I will share, we just received the $480 court of claims check from $480. <laughs> yeah, so it, it is possible. It does, it comes through eventually. <laughs> now you brought up an interest, interesting question about what can we do, can we protest? Like in a uh, for-profit world, you know, a, a business person can say, I'm sick of this, I'm not delivering the services, or I'm not gonna show up to the site today, I'm not gonna do the work. Not-for-profit agencies can't do that. Ethically, we can't leave our clients like that. We just can't. So we always struggle with, you know, what can we do without hurting the community, hurting our clients? So that, that's always been a struggle for us. And human services, we admit that we have not been doing a good job of communicating uh, both the problems, uh, the work we do, how we strengthen the communities. So locally, um, over 40 agencies, human service agencies, have gotten together and formed what's called the Open Network. And we work together, uh, both myself and Kathy are on that steering committee. Uh, other steering committee members are here today. They're very passionate about human services. And we work hard to collaborate and advocate and spread the message about what we're doing, trying to coordinate a proper way to ethically and properly handle some of these situations. And, and communicate with those in power that things need to change. And yet, we are 501c3s, yes. which prohibits <laughs> us from lobbying uh, legislators. <laughs> so it's, you know, we can educate, we can inform, but we can't lobby, if you will. Community colleges, higher education in general, does lobby quite a bit, um, but it's not necessarily proven all that effective. No, and I, I think, um, in all fairness to the representatives, uh, I agree that they are very supportive of the work that all our agencies do, uh, and I think they feel a little bit hamstrung as if their hands are tied, handcuffed, so to speak, that they really aren't making an impact in Springfield because, again, as, as somebody very eloquently stated, uh, that power is uh, linked up with about five individuals. I don't care how you count them. Anywhere between three and six, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, but it's not the individuals that are really speaking for us. Uh, in answer to the gentleman's question, because it's a very important question, Blackhawk College will never see uh, $6.1 million that's owed to us from 2016. I know a number because we budgeted $7.2 million that year. We received $1.1. Uh, I was in Governor Rauner's office along with about 13 other community college and four-year university presidents. We were invited there two years ago. Uh, they took kind of a sampling, a little smattering of presidents from across the state. I happened to be one of the lucky ones to go in and actually talk with the governor. Uh, and I asked him, I said, here we are trying to budget. Uh, some of the concerns that we've heard already today, we're trying to manage uh, agencies. I don't care how small or how large your budget is. That's just really a question of how many zeros you have on the end of the budget. When you talk about a check for $480, whether that's $48,000, whether that's $480,000, it's still money that's owed to us that we have to put aside for operations. We have to pay our people. 
Uh, we've made a promise to our students to keep tuition low. That also means that we have to make certain we have good educators, solid educators in the classroom to teach them. Uh, and I asked Governor Rauner at that time, the state owes us X amount of dollars. What are the chances that we're going to be paid that those back monies? And he looked at me dead in the eye and he said, Betty, uh, I wouldn't count on it. And actually, I'll be honest with you, I appreciated that answer because that gave me a, a budget plan. It also told us that, hey, this isn't going to get any better. So if you didn't see the writing on the wall three years ago and start planning ahead, you're, uh, you probably didn't get behind the eight ball fast enough. Uh, so that's why I continue to say that we did the responsible thing. Again, not to our clients, are very similar to all the clients that you're hearing about, our clients are our students. It's not responsible to double their tuition, so we had to take other measures. Uh, what I'm happy to say right now, and on a very bright note, is rather than budgeting 7.2 million from the state, we're now budgeting 3.6 million. So if the state does come through with what they're supposed to pay for FY18 specifically to Blackhawk College, we will be able to start replenishing our fund balance and saving for the next rainy day. That puts us in a much better position. Uh, I know this is uh, kind of a, a dreary conversation, but there is a very good light here at the end of the tunnel. We are now less reliant on the state. I think that's exactly what they wanted us to do, and there are some repercussions for doing that. But nevertheless, it does uh, give us a lot more uh, control over how we're planning on doing business in the future. And I'm very uh, positive about that. I think there is a good outlook here, at least for community colleges, that chose to plan that way, because you had to plan in order to get there. I believe we have another question in the mail. Not so much a question, but uh, I have some comments. And I appreciate all of you and uh, the work you do. I was an educator in Iowa for many years. I was born and raised in Illinois. Uh, spent half my life in Iowa. Just came back, not just came back, about 15 years ago, to build a home in Illinois. Had I known that Illinois was going to be such a mess, we probably would not have been built in Illinois. And I love Illinois. Uh, my relatives are in Illinois. I, I really don't have that many <laughs> relatives in Iowa. Um, but you're talking about your agencies and so forth, and I appreciate your budget impasse or how it affected you. As a resident of Illinois, I can tell you that it has affected us and property taxes uh, I have two children who were born <clears throat> and raised in Iowa, uh, went to school in Iowa, went to college in Iowa. They're in Illinois because of our families being in Illinois. And my daughter says, hmm, I see there's $10 more taken out of my paycheck because the income tax. And they're struggling. And they are thinking seriously about getting out of here. My son-in-law is from Wisconsin. They're thinking about going there. Um, heard from a um, uh, Illinois legislator last night. Every five minutes, a person leaves Illinois. You talk about your money. If it isn't for us residents staying here, you're not going to see daylight. Um, I had a principal once who said, let's quit admiring the problem. Let's look at the solution. I know the solution is very nebulous because of what goes on in Springfield. Um, hearing from a senator last night, he said, you wouldn't believe what goes on in some of these meetings. 
One of the debates was, is corn a vegetable or a grain? And when they have bigger things to discuss, and he says, no, it's a grain. No, it's a vegetable. <laughs> um, he said twice they voted on bailing out Chicago schools. The first time, it didn't pass. The second time, nothing changed. They voted to bail out Chicago schools. Um, really nothing had changed except, I guess, they caved in. Pensions? I have a pension from the state of Iowa, and I'm thankful. I see the pensions. Um, I'm not saying that people in Rock Island County or Henry County, where I was raised, get such large teacher pensions. But I can go online and see, and I told some of my coworkers a few years ago, that there was a history teacher, I believe, in Chicago getting a $400,000 a year pension. Excuse me. Those kinds of things are breaking Illinois. And that's all I really have to say. appreciate that. And uh, I don't know if anybody has any response. I think it's one thing that she's brought up that I think we didn't touch on is um, mistrust of government in general. So yes, when we start talking about the need to come through with revenue and things like that, and the public sitting there going, I don't want to pay more taxes to a government I do not trust. I don't know what they're going to do. That has to make your jobs even harder, I'm guessing. Uh, Two business owners uh, are friends of mine in Illinois. Uh, the one business owner lives in Iowa, runs an Illinois business. The other has a business in Rock Island County, lives in Illinois. Both of them have said if they weren't such long-standing businesses and it wasn't such a hassle to move to Iowa, they would leave. I think that's sad. So anyway, thank you. We've got about 15 minutes left, so if somebody else has questions, uh, just come on up and we'll try to get as many as we can. I have actually a quick response. This is hard for me to say because I'm actually here as a director of an agency that serves, that's an Illinois DHS-funded agency, so it's hard for me to say. But I'm not speaking as a director right now, I'm speaking as a parent of a young child, and this is hard for me because my husband and I look at my 13-month-old and we, we plan to leave the state because when we look at moving, because I, I live in fear of what will happen if I find out that my daughter has any disability, that she has any hearing, that she needs screenings. Well, I'm, I've, I've been a community organizer in Illinois for eight years and a, a director for almost two. And I, I am so afraid because I see those systems fall apart and looking at the knowing that my tax dollars need to stay here for the agency that, that I run to, to stay afloat for the services that we have, I know what that means. But when I have to make the choice as a parent, what happens? I am I I'm like I'm not really an emotional person, but thinking about that and the hard decision that we make, and you're know, looking you, my colleagues in the eye, to say that I am one of the, the parents of young children who is ready to flee the state out of fear for the education system that my child may enter, because I don't know what the infrastructure will, will look like in five years when she's there. And again, I don't know what will happen if she needs services. That, that are dependent not on my income or my insurance, but are dependent on the system that can serve her. And that's, I just want to make a response to the woman who was just up here saying around the, those of us who are fleeing, it's a hard decision because this, our, our infrastructure is, is, is falling apart. And I'm saying that as one of the people who's up here trying to hold it together. So. Kathy, can you touch on that a little bit? Well, I, I think it speaks to, to both of those is there is this I'm going to overuse this, but this foundation piece, there is enough money in Illinois through the taxpayers and in the system to take care of these basic things. There is enough, and it's an allocation issue. 
and, and it's decisions then by our legislator where they're going to allocate those things. So it's, I don't think we're fighting with who's going to get those dollars. It's the state has to decide we have this duty and responsibility to take care of these basic needs, as every government does. And that's the, the never-ending challenge, how to, get, how to get that dialogue going. And if you want to add to that. We've had a lot of folks at Blackhawk College that come from the Illinois Community College Trustees Association and talk to the college. Uh, I don't know if you, some of you have run into this, but after you've been an administrator at any institution, uh, that transparency is something I strive for, but after you talk and say the same message over and over and over again, sometimes it's nice to have somebody from the outside come in and say the message maybe in a little bit of a different way. Uh, and so I've had individuals come to Blackhawk and just talk about the state budget as a whole. Uh, one of those individuals from the Illinois Community College Trustees Association, uh, I think would refute that there's actually enough money to go around. Uh, I think the budget that um, he was talking about, especially at our assembly day here when classes start in August, is there is not enough money. Uh, and the money that's coming in is not covering the current cost. Uh, and especially when we talk about individuals leaving the state, of course those are tax dollars leaving the state. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure where the transparency is in the Illinois budget, uh, but again, I think our challenge is, is that we need to reinvent the businesses uh, that we have in order to uh, make certain that we are here 5, 10, 20, and 30 years from now uh, for the youth that are still in uh, Illinois. I appreciate uh, your fear. Uh, if I had a, a small child at home, I would have the exact same fear uh, as a mother. Uh, being concerned about the needs of that child and how they're going to be met potentially by a state that might not have the best foundation. Uh, I, however, am very confident uh, that the state of Illinois will continue uh, to transcend uh, despite uh, bad government in the state of Illinois. I think there are enough excellent educated individuals uh, that will continue to persevere uh, and make certain that those services are available in some way, shape, or form. I don't think they're going to look the same as what they did five years ago but I'm confident that they will be here. Uh, and I like to see, uh, again, kind of talking glass half full, uh, this has provided us with an opportunity for how best to take limited resources and develop a system um, so that we can put services out, in my case, educational services to the communities that we serve in a very well-focused way. How do we continue to do what we know we are phenomenal at in Illinois? And that is our educational system. And how do we do that with less funding coming in from the state? Uh, there are options, and just because our state politicians aren't creative doesn't mean that we can't be creative, and we will be. Uh, and we will talk about this hopefully five years from now and look back to this period and say, you know what, it was rough going through it, but we're in a better situation because of how we handled the situation. And I think that's the, uh, the people in Illinois, we have that background, we have that tenacity, uh, we're smart individuals, we can figure it out even if the politicians can't. I'm confident of that. We're going to keep trying. Uh, my name is Bill Ellis. I'm born in Rock Island, been here my entire life. Uh, I want to ask a question to Sean, and that is you've done these forums other places, and nobody in the panel mentioned it earlier, but the lady that mentioned the C word that we all dread Chicago. Oh my God, that's where my tax money goes. I don't want to send money to Chicago. I don't want to pay the $400,000 to some retired teacher. How is this same meeting held in the Chicago forum different? Do they all assume that everybody outside the Collar County is hay seeds and we don't really know anything? Or on a per capita basis, do they think they're getting a raw deal? I mean, how, how is their point of view different than ours? Because among all the states, 
we've got a really odd situation in terms of the political and economic power concentrated in a, a small number of counties and everybody else has kind of forgot out here. How's yeah. it different? Yeah, I think, well, and you put me on the spot because I was not at our Chicago forum. I was, I was on vacation, but, uh, um, but uh, yeah, once in a while, right? So, um, from what I recall, though, of what I've seen of it, and Randy, you can weigh in on this because you were there, is uh, they talked mostly about things that were impacting them, and that was things like the, a soda tax that was put on that very unpopular right now up there. Um, they're having a lot of issues, of course, and I think a lot of it also stems from mistrust of government. I mean, I don't know too many people in Chicago who say, yeah, we've got great government here. You know, they're, they're, they mistrust the county government, the city government, and certainly the state government. So uh, that doesn't help that situation. Anything you can add to that part of that? I think uh, one thing that stood out uh, with a person who's not very popular up there now, Tony Breckwinkle, is that she put it back on the voters. She said that there are politicians who want to make difficult decisions, but they're not getting elected because they're not what he wants to take the hard hard measures that it's going to take to make the state healthy. And so we keep electing people who not always are willing to, to raise taxes and cut programs. And, and so somehow it comes back to us. So that was one of the key things that came out of Chicago. Um, and I think, you know, the other difficult thing about Chicago, Chicago area has 67% of the revenue and the population of the state. Um, and it's a very important economic driver of the state, but at the same time, the rest of the state is very important too. And for Springfield and Chicago, or you know, downstate as Chicagoans would call it, even though we're over here, or what, um, you know, it's really important for us to figure out how to work together. And there was some of that conversation. And they're having the same problems. There are many more social service impacts and things like that, and they can't, they can't serve their, their constituents. I think we have a couple of other questions. So. Comments. Um, this is a, this is a comment. I'm moving out of Illinois, and the sad part about it is I went to Blackhawk College and I got a great education. But I frankly don't want to stay here anymore. And the problem I see is what she said. I see business after business after business closing in my neighborhood. I see house after house after house for sale. People are getting out, and I'm getting out because I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen next. Because I'm obviously a senior citizen, will I have any services? I'm going to go to some place where it's it's more compatible for my generation. Plus, I also see Augustana is a great college, but I see recruiters coming to Augustana from from all over the United States because we do have terrific young people, and it's a brain drain mm -hmm. from Illinois. And I would not encourage any young person to really stay here. I mean, honestly, if our government down in Springfield can't figure it out, and these are supposed to be educated individuals. I'm not. Sure. I mean, semi-educated. I got a good education. But I mean, these are supposed to be very, very educated people. They can't sit down. They can't talk. They can't work out a budget. And we're the ones that are paying for it. You guys are the ones that are paying for it. You know, I believe in each one of you. We all need these services. If we don't pay now for child abuse, we're going to pay down the road. If we don't pay to keep somebody in their home, we're going to pay Boku amount of money for the nursing home. And I don't see a resolution because all I see is a bunch of kids in Springfield just fighting fighting. And I've just kind of had it up to here. And I'm not mad at you guys. I'm just kind of venting, and I appreciate it. But I'm leaving. Because when I drive out of the state with Illinois plates, people say, oh, 
Other states, Iowa, Indiana, Minnesota, it's like, oh my, you're from Illinois. <laughs> but thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Turlin, if you could quick response to that. Oh, certainly. It's under. It's understandable. It's, it's sad to hear, but I think that your story is very um, probably applicable to multiple, multiple hundreds of individuals that are leaving the state. It's a sad number when you start to say that every five minutes somebody leaves the state of Illinois. Uh, at least, um, and it's especially sad for those of us that were raised here. Uh, you know, I was born, uh, I grew up in East Moline uh, all my life. I went to school at, uh, if any of you remember Marycrest, I was in Marycrest for two years, St. Ambrose for two years, and, and got a master's degree and a doctorate from schools uh, in Iowa. Uh, but however, I came back uh, to Illinois because I love Illinois, and I love the Quad Cities area, and my entire career has been here. And so it's hard to see people that have that dedication to our community uh, say what you say. Uh, although it is, uh, it's appreciated, it's truthful, it's honest, and I believe it's indicative of multiple individuals. Uh, I'm hoping at some point uh, that those attitudes do turn around for us. I'm just hoping uh, that it's less than 10 years from now. Uh, that's my big concern, uh, is, you know, we'll see the exodus, it will ebb and flow, uh, but at some point uh, I'm hoping that uh, the state recovers uh, and that it's not too late for us. Yeah. And clearly she had a great education. And clearly, yes, and, yeah. and so, so thank you for that, because, uh, again, as we've mentioned, there are so many great uh, educational opportunities uh, not only at Black Hawk, but in all the educational areas that we have in the Quad Cities area, both sides of the river. Uh, I think it's fair to say that all the leaders of the educational institutions that I've spoken with, uh, whether it's Augustana, Western, Eastern Iowa Community College, St. Ambrose, uh, all of us care about students getting educated. Of course I want them to choose Black Hawk, but the bottom line is we want them to be educated, and it's sad to see those students leave. We've been waiting patiently. Uh, first, my name is Bruce Peterson. I'm currently the mayor of Port Byron. And uh, first and foremost, I wanted to thank each one of you for taking the time and presenting this forum. Uh, it's very, uh, it, it's a nice service. And the problem, the state budget and the challenges, they're not going away. They'll be back. And, and you'll be back. That, that I think we can all agree on. And today I had a meeting with uh, Tony Combe and with Neil Anderson, and it talked about economic development in Northwest Illinois, where their regions are. And the same discussion that you're hearing tonight, they heard there too. And my point to you is we know what the problem is. We know how you're suffering. But what we don't have is how are we going to resolve the problem. And you first and foremost need to know what is the problem. Why are we here in the predicament that we have? And how do we resolve that? And if it's Chicago, if it's Cook County, how do we compete? We, we don't have the numbers, and we don't, we can't resolve this in Springfield. It isn't working. We've had a governor who has tried and has not succeeded. 
for two years, and it put each one of you in a compromising position to run your organization. It's been very taxing on the, the constituents in Illinois, and we have people that are leaving. But we know what the consequences are, but what we haven't found is the solution to the problem. And, and I would ask NPR, I would ask WVIK, try to find what the solution is for downstate. How do we resolve it? Can we compete? Can we um, get under or get out from being under the, the foot of, of Chicago and Cook County? What I did tell to uh, my representatives today is that I personally am going to um, boycott Chicago, Cook County. I'm not going back. I'm not going there at Christmas time to shop. I'm not having my constituents that pay property tax to the village of Port Byron pay for supplies, soap, pencils, paper, whatever it is, if it has a address in the city of Chicago. We'll keep our money in the state of Illinois, but we have vendors in Peoria, and we have vendors in Moline, Rock Island, Champaign-Urbana, Southern Illinois. I don't have to feed the mouth that slaps the hand. And I would ask each, each of you, an NPR, to concentrate more on the solution and not on the problem. We know what the problem is, but we need solutions to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mayor. Thank you. If anybody else has a question. Uh... I'm familiar with all four of you here, Mike. My parents uh, kept them in the home. We had help till they, till they passed away. And I think it's our duty to keep that up. I have three kids. Me and my wife go through school. Two were in Illinois and Iowa. I believe, it's my belief that every child should, be have, should have some education, affordable education. And the way our schools are being played with now, I'm very concerned about. My sister and brother-in-law both adopted two abused kids. I'm very close to them, but now we're adults. And we can't afford to let those people be in Christ. My daughter has a business. She lives in Iowa, has a business in Vermont. My question is, what are the issues our representatives are, are more concerned with than these. Mm -hmm. Four versus three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody wants to try to answer that. I can share one um, story about that, which is I did get the honor of meeting with Speaker Madigan one time, and um, which is rare. 
and <laughs> with a group of people. And, and we were going around sharing what was going on at the time. And he, he was pretty frank. And he says, I'm going to tell you, tell you what's going on here. Illinois is like this. Human Services, who I was representing at that meeting, is down here. Pension is up here. And until we deal with that, and there will be no compromise, then we can't deal with this. So that's an answer I did hear from one of those top three to five people um, that valued human services, valued all the great work, values small business, values all these things, um, but was very clear what the priority was um, in his arena, which was maintaining that high level of pension funding as it is and preserving it. And that's a solution. Who's got that solution? I don't know. He's got the power. We are uh, pretty much out of time, and I do want to thank everybody. If any of our panel, do you want to have any uh, last words, comments? I don't yeah. seem to be able to speak I, I do. I, I'm, uh, I'm also a transplant. Um, I moved here well over 20 years ago from Minnesota, and I, I came to this community because of its vibrancy, because of how we do think out of the box um, as a local entity, and I, I've been astounded at the different ideas that have come to fruition um, from all of our cities and our local city governments. We have a lot to be proud of here, and um, we work together amazingly well as a two-state community, and um, we're very unique. There isn't another area of the country that has an equal population on both Iowa and Illinois on the side of the river. And, you know, the topography we have here and the history that we have here is something for us to be proud of and to cherish. And um, I, 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 I want to leave that on a positive note that we do have a lot to be proud of in this community and we do work outside of the box together and I've been impressed with what we've come up with through the years. So I know we can get through this too. WBIK, uh, AARP, uh, to the audience uh, for the great questions and the time tonight. Um, we're proud, Child Abuse Council is proud to be part of a network of uh, human services trying to uh, help everyone reach their human potential. Uh, when, when people do, when they have well-being, when they're strong and healthy, we all benefit. Mm -hmm. you know? So we're just so proud to be part of that and working with you all as our partners uh, to try to make this a better uh, region and community. So again, thank you very much for allowing me to speak tonight. I appreciate it. forums like this that really raise my spirits uh, as an individual and, and attempting to serve the community uh, as we all are trying to do here uh, and just coming together and having the opportunity for the conversation. I'm very appreciative. So thank you on behalf of Blackhawk College. You know, what can we do in this area to kind of raise our bar? Um, and I've noticed, certainly for alternatives, um, we have been asked recently to participate in, I can't even hardly count the number, four or five pilot projects. And the reason is they want the Quad Cities involved. They want, the quad, they want to represent the Quad Cities areas. Now, in my history, they've usually gone to Chicago or they've gone to Springfield to do these types of things. And there is this real um, observation I've noticed lately that the Quad Cities is a really great place to try um, high quality and out-of-the-box thinking ideas. So 
so that's also a positive that bodes well, I think, for this area. Well, once again, thanks to our panel. Give a hand. Also, uh, thanks to WBIK for helping organize the events and AARP for helping support it, and we do appreciate it. We will have video <laughs> available of this event. It'll be uh, online in a few days, so look for that. And uh, we appreciate all of you coming out. Thanks again. <laughs>